broadcasting from an undisclosed location, from a secret hunting spot known only to him, and the guy who told him about it, and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics. Welcome back to another week of The Hunting Show. I'm your host, Stephen Spargo, and I'm coming to you from, well, I'm driving, actually, and I'm driving out to my my hunt tonight, and I wanted to talk to you very briefly about the anticipation. Now, for me, hunting I get to do relatively regularly. I don't get to do it every single night of the week, but I'm fortunate enough to live in the central North Island, and most hunting is pretty close. But what that's meant for me is that I still, because I don't get out every single night, I still really look forward to it and really anticipate that hunt. And today at work, I, I managed to get off work a couple of hours early so I could get out and actually have a decent hunt before, um, before it got dark. But today at work, that's all I could think about. That was my brain. And although I was working well and I had my mind on the task, uh, whenever there was a moment or a lull in activity, uh, I, I, I'd check my, my watch and see how far it is or how far away are we to that hunt. And I think duck shooters probably can relate to this a whole lot more because uh, they wait for that opening weekend of duck shooting for weeks and weeks and weeks. And probably <laughs> they wait from the close of duck shooting the year previous. What does the anticipation do for you? I mean, do you sit there waiting for that for that hunt? Is it something you really look forward to? Because it's your time, isn't it? It's your time to go out and enjoy uh, what we have to offer. And uh, look, this afternoon I may or may not see anything. I may or may not get anything. It's not about that. It's just a chance to get out into the hills and really enjoy our sport. The next thing I wanted to talk to you about was the tone of the emails I'm getting from you. And I'm talking about that, <laughs> it made it sound really negative, but actually I wanted to mention it in a really positive light. The emails that I used to get when I started this show well over a year ago were very much anti. Not anti me and not anti the show. In fact, most of them started with great show, love your work, those kinds of comments. Uh, and the occasional person that didn't like something I said, but at large they still listened to the show and they really enjoyed it. They used to be very much anti-1080, anti what the government was doing, negative on the situation or the, or the state of hunting in our country, or something that had gone wrong or a political thing. It was They were quite charged emails. And I said, where, where the emails have gone to is a, what they seem to have done in the last three, maybe four months particularly, is they've changed to a very positive uh, format. You know, that people are emailing me in suggestions for the show, which I absolutely love getting because this is a weekly show, and um, believe you me, sometimes you do feel like you've run out of ideas. Um, contact details for great e- uh, for great interviews potentially, and by the way, I love getting those. Some of the best interviews I've ever had have been with people that listeners have suggested to me. Um, you know, with products I'd like to know my opinion on, calibers, all sorts of things. And uh, anyone that listens to the show will know I don't pretend to be an expert on any of this. Um, but it, it really is great to hear all of that from you. Because I'd, I'd like you to, or, or like more of this to happen. It really feels like the listeners are taking ownership of what we have here. So, 
thank you, you know, and, and I do love giving out those those monthly prizes and, and rewarding listeners in some ways. And we've got some really nice giveaways coming up in the not too distant future. And some really good shows. We've got dog handling shows. We have more shows on reloading coming up. Um, we have some shows on products, knives and bits and pieces, um, footwear, uh, some of those things. Although I don't want it to be a, a, a weekly review on something that someone has sent me. Um, we want to, you know, we want to keep the show on topic about our craft. So as I as I drive along um, a road somewhere in the central North Island to uh, to go for a hunt, I just thought I'd have those words to you, and hopefully I can bring you some audio from the hunt that I'm doing this tonight. And look, maybe maybe nothing. Maybe the next take is going to be in the studio and me telling you or reminiscing about um, the hunt that, that didn't go so well but the great time I had in the hills. So we'll see. And that's the interesting thing about the show because unlike a TV show I don't take you know 50 hours of footage to get you know that 20 minutes and uh, I, I fully respect what those guys have to do to get that. Um, most of what I take, I, for example the show I did with Pete Bridal and the team at um, uh, you know the team down in Wanganui there really we did we maybe got an hour worth of audio and we cut that down to a, a solid 30 minutes and as you know with most interview formats of course I don't um, edit the show at all so hopefully the next take that you're going to hear is from me um, either taking a shot or post taking a shot talking about that experience with my mate Pete who I'm, I'm meeting out at this um, at this particular spot so thank you again for all your great emails. I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about how the, the tone has changed and I look forward to, to hearing more from you. Please never stop talking back. That's the whole idea of the format. Coming to you from somewhere in the hills, I've got two very good mates. I've got Pete with me and Dave. We just shot uh, a beautiful yearling. Uh, it's going to make some great eating. And uh, I'll talk to Pete first. Pete, we, um, we missed that first shot. Or when I say we, I. <laughs> um, but that second shot was, I mean, it was a fantastic shot. wasn't too far away. Um, but one thing about the area we're in, and we're not going to talk about where that is, is um, these things seem to be everywhere, don't they, Pete? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, what are we doing? About 200 metres, yeah. and we're seeing. 200 metres, and we're seeing. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we walked down through a path into the natives, which is where we are now. And, gosh, what do we see? Um, two straight away and then the, the hind that we missed and now uh, come around the corner and this beautiful yearling which uh, is going to make some great eating. It's no trophy stag um, but it was exactly what we're looking for. We're meat hunting today and as I said in the car on the way here, I actually started the show unbeknown to, to Pete and Dave, I, uh, I started the show in the car on the way here, the anticipation of the hunt. Uh, now we're here, we're about to gut the animal, clean it up and Dave I'll talk to you. Still a bit puffing. I had to chase it <laughs> uh, about 50 or 80 metres into the into the hills. But Dave, last time you brought an animal around to my place um, and you'd gutted it, I um, I made a slight complaint about it. So we're going to go through the proper process with you. How many times have you done this to a deer? Never. Never. No, so just sheep. Sheep. Yeah. And so we're going to do this properly, or attempt to do this properly. And uh, and you're going to do it. So you're going to be. You know, um, yeah, yeah. elbows elbows thick into guts, and I'm going to give you a hand with that. Um, well, what did you think? I mean, you saw the shot, you saw me bolt after it. Uh, I got a bit of adrenaline still running as you do, but uh, you were hanging back at the behind me there. What do you reckon? Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was 
good lucky we got to it nice and quick mm, yeah and uh, that humane kill eh? so something I always strive for is that humane uh, you know the, the most humane kill I possibly could and you saw that was fast and then you sort of did yep yep that was easy as well yeah and it hardly moved yeah like it hardly moved made a couple of noises and um, we cut the throat and broke its neck and uh, it had an honorable death is probably the best way to describe it so we're going to go ahead and, and gut this animal I'm going to have a chat to you afterwards I mean um, awesome day out. I mean, we're, we're very privileged to to be where we are, and uh, gosh, in New Zealand, don't we get we get the best of everything? So uh, we're going to gut that animal. Unfortunately, it's going to be long and slow to record, so I'm not going to do that. But Pete and uh, and um, and Dave, thank you so much for having us. And Pete, um, you, you you taught me all about the spot, so thanks for that. No worries, man. No worries. Okay, so we'll, next time you hear from us, we're probably carrying back and maybe maybe another animal. We're really going to look at filling up those freezers and getting we food onto the table. We want to get one on the way back. We've got enough. I think we've got enough distance from here to the car to get another one back. And um, you'll be carrying this, so I'll be, I'll be nice and fresh. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. Okay, Pete we'll, um, and Dave will hook into this now and uh, we'll be back very soon. And uh, back from that hunt now, I've got a bear in front of me, and unfortunately we didn't see any more deer down that track, but Dave did a spectacular job and uh, managed to gut his first deer uh, with some sort of precision. So I'm back in the studio. I'm, I'm after a, a relatively successful hunt, and it was a great public land hunt, and I've joined by phone with Peter Bridle. And uh, you and I, we missed out on catching up last week because you uh, you were busy with a guide. Um how, how's your week been, anyway? Before we get too carried away, well, it's been uh, it's been pretty busy. We had uh, iPhone cable problems here. I don't know how many iPhone five cables have gone through, but I think this was number five that let me down. <laughs> um, and it was only a client bringing another one out that saved me, and I, I managed to get in touch with you well after you've done your show, unfortunately. But yeah, we had um, we had a very good week. We had a lot of snow and a lot of other crap there, which wasn't so great. Uh, made it made it very pretty, but. Mm. Um, I actually had the pleasure of hunting with um, a young fella by the name of Felix. Uh, Felix was 11 years old, and, oh, mate, he was just something else. Um, just an incredible young shooter, uh, so much enthusiasm. Uh, he he just he listened to his dad. He listened to the advice I gave him, and he, he came away with three deer for the morning, which is... Um, yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it makes my one that's hanging about 20 metres behind me from the studio, um, ironically where I hang my, the, the old deer isn't far from here, um, seem a little bit strange, really. He got three, and, and that's got to be a big effort, eh? Yeah, it, it was. Look, he, he he really he really worked very hard for it, yeah. but um, there there were a few things he did very differently from a lot of the other young shooters I see through. Um, he, he was very composed in his shooting, um, he shot. He shot like like an absolute veteran, someone that shot a heap of deer. Uh, but he was very aggressive with you know finding firing position and, and quickly aligning towards the target. But he didn't rush it to the point where he forgot the fundamentals. And he, he just did an absolutely superb job and was just an absolute pleasure to hunt with. Uh, and I hunted with another another young fella um, on Tuesday, um, and. Wow, I mean, the guy could could shoot. Uh, just absolutely incredible shooting from him. Uh, he shot uh, just under an, an inch group at 200 metres with uh, my 300 win mag. Uh, and we went out and he ended up getting a uh, 957 metre kill, which was, um, yeah, so over the magic thousand yards. So, yeah, and this was in 16k an hour crosswinds as well. So, yeah, there's, there's some, um, I've, I've had the pleasure of shooting with some really, really amazing shooters lately. So, 
so it's been a, it's been a great couple of weeks for me. One question I had for you is that obviously that the weather lately has been very cold, and down where you were there was snow. How do you think that that snow and cold weather, first of all, changes the dynamics of hunting just in general? Well. You know, people always ask me what's a good time to go hunting. Uh, it's always a good time to go hunting. If you're out in the bush, it's always a good time. There's always deer there. Um, and, yeah, sure, they move around a bit. But to be honest, I, I actually think snow, particularly in New Zealand, in the bush especially, is actually a pretty pretty bloody good thing for the deer. Um, winter and coming into spring can be a pretty lean time for them. But uh, the snow brings down a lot of branches. And with that, it brings down a lot of food that would otherwise be out of reach for the deer. So, so quite often, uh, some of the worst uh, winters we've had, the deer have actually looked the best coming into spring and certainly put on good heads that year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind the snow. The snow is, um, it, it's funny, you, you, you see the deer move around quite a lot more looking for a feed. So you'll see deer turning up in places you normally wouldn't expect to see them. Uh, the, the footprints in the snow certainly help. And yeah, I mean, during like when it's cold and blowing a gale and all that, they're all sort of tucked up trying to find a bit of warmth and a bit of shelter. So they they can actually be quite predictable to hunt. Certainly, they're not out in the open as much as they as they normally would be. But um, I mean, I I don't see see hunting in the snow as different to hunting any other time. You just need to be aware of of what your what your quarry's up to and sort of predict his movements and. Uh, Try and outthink them. So yeah, you can you can hunt just as effectively in snow as you can any other time of the year. And I tell you what, it keeps the meat bloody cool. So it's very very good for for you know quality of meat. You know you can cool the animal down very very fast, and uh, it certainly tastes tastes a bit better than it does in summer. That's for sure. Yeah, well I look at that. The the animal I've got hanging behind me is hanging in a in a shed. Um, I'm I'm in a nice warm room, but the the shed behind me is probably sitting at about four, maybe five degrees, and tomorrow it's going to go into a chiller. But you're right, you're not having mm. to worry so much about that meat spoiling, and particularly, you, you don't have to worry about flies. Yeah. Well, look, at this time of the year, as long as the air's going over it and as long as it's not in the sun, it's good for, you know, five days a week in a lot of places. Mm. Um, certainly down here in Dunedin at the moment, I could, could quite happily leave it under the house for for a week and a half, and it'd be fine. It's bloody snow on the ground here, and it's, uh, yeah, not not the nicest, but, um, yeah. <laughs> well, you were saying just off air that you had to put on a puffer jacket to go to the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, you know, we've got the heat pump heating half the house, but, you know, let's be honest, you don't get rich writing checks, so we don't have it, you know, at a ridiculous temperature heating up the whole house. So, yeah, to go down the other end of the house, it's puffer jacket and, and slippers and all that kind of good <laughs> stuff. So, yeah. Now, just um, we missed out on talking with you about reloading, and you probably heard the show we did with Mike Felton, who uh, that's what he does. He's a reloader. But what I wanted was a, a few more opinions on reloading versus factory and the benefits of that. And, and you, have, I'm sure, have, have plenty of opinions. First of all, of why go down the path of reloading? I don't think it necessarily saves you any money unless you're shooting an awful lot. It's it's more about mm. getting the right load, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's it at the end of the day. I mean, if you don't do very much shooting, um, you know, people have often asked me what type of ammo should I buy. Well, you know, again, it's like same with the deer rifle. You know, you buy the, the best quality ammunition you can afford and you can shoot comfortably. And, you know, I, I stand by Remington Corelock. Um, it's, a, it's a very, very accurate 
uh, well, it's not incredibly accurate, but it does everything you need to shoot deer and goats and so on and so forth. Very reliable, and the call up projectiles is, is great. It just does what it's supposed to do. It turns into a mushroom, creates a fantastic wound channel throughout the animal and exits. And people will argue, you know, you don't want it to exit. It leaves all the energy in the deer. Now, that's a load of crap. You, you, you want an exit wound. Without an exit wound, you don't have a blood trail to follow. And you want, you want to create a big wound channel and have the blood pouring out of the animal so it switches him off as fast as possible. So Remington call-up tick all the boxes for me. But yeah. if you want to shoot that little bit more accurately, um, if, unless you can find ammunition your, your, your rifle likes to shoot, you know, hand loading's the way to go. So, yeah. And, and the thing about it is it seems like it's all smoke and mirrors and it's a little bit strange. But the more I've looked into it, the easier it seems to be. You know, you really, it's, it's not as complicated as it's, it first appears, is it? No. Well, I, I mean, it, it, the essence of it is, you know, the, the, there's a factory specification for, for the cartridge. So the brass is in a certain set of measurements. Uh, when you fire that, that cartridge for the first time, the brass will expand and meet the walls of your chamber. If you're going to use that same cartridge in a different rifle, you do what's called a full resize. So you resize the, the, the cartridge, the, the, the brass in a press, takes it back to its factory specification, and it also pops the primer out. Mm-hmm. So you've got deprimed brass ready to go. You then put a new primer in it, you put new powder in it, and you put a new projectile in it. At the end of the day, that's, that's all it is. It's it's not really that complicated at all. Um, I mean, there's heaps of stuff on, on, on the internet, on YouTube and stuff like that, and you quite honestly can be hand-loading for sort of four or 500 bucks. Just, I mean, even cheaper if you grab stuff off Trade Me. But the Lee Anniversary Kit is about 250 bucks. It's got everything you need to start reloading. Uh, from there, you just need powder, primers, and projectiles. You know, your three disposable parts if you keep your brass, mm. and a set of dies for your specific cartridge. And from there, it's it, it really is it really is very easy, and it's bloody good fun. Like I'm always tutoring with stuff in front of the TV. Um, today, it's been uh, the back parcel tray of my car I've been working on, but uh, this evening it's uh, going to be a whole heap of uh, 300 wind mag brass that's getting. Um, cleaned up and uh, deprimed. Mm. So it's, you, you know, it's, if, if you just look online, chat at your hunting shop or just, you know, see things on YouTube, you're away laughing. It's, it's really not that hard. And, so. of course, if, if it is all beyond you and, and, and that's just not where your head's at, you can get someone else to reload them for you. There's plenty of people that make a good living out of, of doing exactly that, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I, I would I would be very careful about getting your mate down the road to do it. Yeah, um, yeah one one thing that uh, is sort of forgotten quite a bit is uh, you know look ADI powder. I, I pretty much always use ADI powder. They'll have a maximum load uh, written in for the for the cartridge. Mm. Now, you know, if it's say for the three hundred win mag, it's seventy eight grains of two two one seven, which is what I use. Now, that's a, a nice, safe load, but if you were to use that in an older rifle, um, probably not so safe. Yeah. The other thing to think of is if you were to, say, load it to, let's say, 79 grains, and that's fine shooting that down here in Dunedin, but if I then took that rifle over to Australia and shot it out in the desert where it was 40 degrees, uh, the fact that the propellant's burning a whole lot faster because of that huge temperature difference, uh, that's potentially going to be a bomb. So unless you know exactly 
what you've made mm. or got someone very reputable to do it, I would be very, very careful about using other people's hand loads. So, yeah, that's just a sort of a, a caution for people there. Yeah, I suppose, but um, I was more talking about guys that are doing reloading for a profession. That's that's Those know, guys are mm. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Can't, can't beat it. They, yeah. they've, and they've got the gear too. And I mean, the more money they've got invested in the gear, um, the more accurate you can expect it to be. Right. So, yeah, you know, and, and you want you want it to be accurate. Mm. Um, you can use little powder tricklers and things like that. And they're not too bad, but they're not exact. They're well, certainly not as exact as I'd like it to be. Mm. Um, I sort of count mine out one grain at a time. So, yeah. And if we're going to talk, you actually brought out a really interesting thing, and I wonder whether we can expand into that a little bit, but that's the terminal ballistics, you know, the uh, the wound channels and bits and pieces. There's a lot to oh. that, hey? Okay, now this, this is a topic that I am very, very passionate about. <laughs> um, it's basically the science of killing. Mm. And um, I, I've, well, I've, obviously I've, I've killed quite a few animals um, and certainly a very, very wide variety of animals over the years. Mm. Um there's there's a whole lot of different types of projectiles out there that can offer you a whole heap of different different options in your shooting. Um, there's take the 6.5 for instance. It's got a very high sectional density. You'll see sectional density written on things. If something's got a high sectional density, it'll penetrate very well. Now you know that's good and all, but um, you you may have uh, rounds that just sort of zip through your your target without doing a whole lot of damage. And you can get uh, rounds like the uh, the 62 grain uh, full metal jackets made by Belmont uh, for the 223. And some rifles like them, and some rifles don't stabilise them very well at all. Now they might shoot a wonky sort of two inch group at 100 metres, but the second they hit the skin of a deer, they're going to start tumbling through it and create a horrific wound, and obviously a very humane, very quick kill. So there's there's all sorts of different projectiles on the market, and and if you want something that's going to effectively take down your animal, you need to look at what you're shooting and what the desired effect's going to be. So uh, things like the the SSTs um, by Hornaby, they are a fantastic projectile. They they expand very well. Uh, they tend not to shed their jackets because they've got a the copper copper jacket is locked into the core, uh, so you get good expansion. But that weight retention is what's going to drive it through and out the other side. Uh, things like the uh, the nozzle ballistic bits, I find they tend to shed their jackets, lose their weight, and don't exit as often. Now, I find that if the animal does run, very difficult to find because you don't have the same blood trail. And then you've got things like the monolithic uh, bullets, which are the, the solid copper or you know lead-free bullets. Uh, and uh, the Barnes X bullets, uh, they're monolithic uh, projectiles, and they are just absolutely fantastic. They expand well, they have great uh, ballistic coefficients, and they just go straight through the animals out the other side, but create a good wound channel in the process. And for the longest time, it's it's been the core lock, uh, which uh, you know has it, it, it's the, the the jacket is locked to the core, hence the name. And the deadliest mushroom in the woods is their other sort of their, their little logo there. But they'll expand to twice their size. They'll retain over 90% of their weight, and they'll come out the other side of the animal. And they're the three things that I personally look for in a projectile. I want it to um, maintain 90% of its weight, so not you know disintegrate, have the jacket come off and come to pieces, and so on and so forth. To expand to desirably twice its original size or as close to that as possible, and to exit the animal. 
Now, for me, the exit the animal thing, uh, I find 2,000 foot-pounds of energy with a 7.62 will exit a red deer through both shoulders. And uh, I simply look at my ballistics chart, and with the uh, the 300 wind mago shoot, that's about 600 metres. So at 600 metres, I can create the desired wound on the animal in the most humane way possible to ensure not only getting the animal I've just shot, but ensuring it has a humane sort of... uh, passing you might say uh, just to just to talk about some of that or, or to expand on that a little bit further one of the or the first deer i ever shot i shot down through the chest so if you imagine at the base of the neck i shot it down through there split the heart into two pieces i mean we found the heart on either side of its chest um saved mm-hmm. every single bit of meat it was a massive red and uh, it, it dropped it straight away there was no coming back from that um where, where do you aim? Um, and I'll talk a bit more about that in a sec, but where do you aim? Where, where, you're going for the shoulders every single time? No, no, I don't. Um, and there's there's a few reasons why I don't do that. Um, there's a, well, a, a, a military term uh, that uh, me and some of the other shooters were all sort of you know using over in Australia there. I'm not sure who invented it, so I don't want to you know claim it and say it's mine, but oh, dinner plate. Dinner plate. You've got to know the size of your dinner plate. Now, my dinner plate with the 300 min mag is about, let's say, 10 to sort of 12 millimetres at 100 metres. So pretty much the bullet goes exactly where I want it. Say, let's say 25 mil at 200. At 300 metres, we're looking at about, say, 40 mil, you know, and it starts to get sort of bigger as you go out. But let's make it nice, easy numbers. Let's say I shoot... Uh, 10 centimetres at 100 metres, yep. I shoot 20 centimetres at 200 metres, I shoot 30 centimetres at 300 metres. So if you picture those gradually increasing circles. So if a deer's head is, say, 10 centimetres, taking a headshot at 200 metres is not going to be a sensible option because my dinner plate is larger than my target. So with things like headshots... Uh, I, I do do quite a bit of head shooting for the simple reason it saves the meat. Mm. And uh, I, I grew up kangaroo shooting, and that's that's pretty much all head shooting. But uh, if you are shooting a group that's bigger than your target, you're taking a bit of a punt. So, uh, yeah, if I'm a bit further away, I won't go for the head shots. I'll go for the shots I know I can hit. So if it's, if it's head was, say, 10 centimetres, you know, 10 centimetres at 100 metres, yep, I'm safe to do it. But as soon as it's out to 200 metres, I'll be going for the the side of the deer. So I'll be going for the areas I want to hit. But the points I actually aim at uh, are are quite specific. If I'm front on to a deer and I'm going for a headshot, I try not to shoot in the forehead because with uh, bigger animals, you can get a glancing shot. So I'll I'll go for just basically the chin and try and go through and, and break the neck there. Um, neck shots uh, are also quite good as well, but you and have just to be quickly, very that's ex- aware. That's exactly the shot I took tonight. So right through the neck. And, that's the way. Yeah, and, right and the um, yep. broke his neck, and, and uh, he dropped right on the spot. No issues. And there's nothing better than seeing that you know instant humane kill and know you've done it right. Mm. But there is there is a flip side to headshots, and that's you can put his jaw off. And I've seen it happen a lot of times. Where a deer has had, you know, it's been hit with something like a two-two-three, and it's basically had its entire bottom jaw blown off. And you know, I'm, I'm 
I'm just, I, I'm not trying to put people off this or anything like that, but just be aware if you do that to a deer, they're as tough as nails and the poor bloody things can starve to death. And the last thing I want is, is any disrepute being brought on the, on the hunting community. If you can't humanely make a headshot, don't try. Don't even try it yep. all. Yep. Now, agree, the, agree, the, agree. the problem, the problem with the shoulder shot is I like to show uh, the animals that, that I harvest for my own consumption as much respect as is humanly possible. Mm. And I think the more meat I can take home without ruining, the more respect I'm showing to the creature. Um, so that's why I do try for the head and neck shots. But the most effective shot to do on any um, legged animal is what's called a highlar shot. Now that's one where... Now what, say that word again for me. Say that... A uh, highlar. Highlar. Where does that come from? Highlar. Absolutely no idea. <laughs> um, I believe it. I believe it has to do something to do with the, the heart, um, lungs, uh, and arteries. You know you, that mm. you, you go through. You go through everything. Basically, if you aim in line with the front legs, so if you picture an animal side on, and you aim halfway between its brisket and its back, directly in line with its front legs. Now, if you picture, let's say, a tennis ball in the exact centre of the deer, between its shoulder blades, in line from the uh, the shoulders, halfway between the top and the bottom, that's the point where the arteries that all go to the, the heart, the lungs, and to the brain and the rest of the body all sort of meet up. Now, if you hit a shoulder with something like a Remington core lock, you've just sent a whole heap of shrapnel through in the form of bone and other bits of other, you know, um, shrapnel from the, the projectile itself and that along with the bone is going to tear through it's going to rip the aorta straight off the heart it's going to damage the heart it's going to smash the lungs to bits but most importantly it's going to turn off the flow of blood straight to the brain so you've done the equivalent of uh, drowning the animal in its own blood and, and I, I, I feel like I'm saying quite macabre things here but I'm just I'm, you, you know <laughs> just telling you how it is but you're basically going to drown the animal do the equivalent of cutting the, the carotid arteries to the to the to the head and also smash the heart all in one now that basically ensures you you stop it breathing you stop the blood pumping and you switch the computer off upstairs all in one and that is a very very humane uh, very humane way of, of taking an animal and you'll see when you smash one through the shoulders like that, they just go straight down. Yeah, absolutely, they do. And and you know what? Uh, you you didn't hear this audio because it, it won't. You won't hear it till the show plays. But the shot that mm. I took earlier, we didn't have audio of the shot, but we had the aftermath of that. We were celebrating the humane kill, and mm. I think that's what hunters need to get their mm. head around: is that getting mm. the the humane kill is actually what we should be celebrating, not yeah, not the not the other side of that fence. You know, wow, we got it. And um, one thing that I'm, I've got a really good habit of doing is the no matter how I shot that animal, the first thing I do is cut its throat and break its neck. And I think you would have yep, seen me absolutely. do that. Even even when I was out hunting yep. with you, I do that very, very yep. quickly. Um, because mm. you know, I don't want to see it in pain. I'm, I I respect yep. the animal I just I just took down. Absolutely. You know, I mean if you if you take pleasure in um harming any animal in front of me, um, it'll it'll be a very short conversation, I can tell you mm. tell you that much. Um but I mean there's no problem in celebrating, you know, the taking of an animal at the end of a hunt. 
Um, you know, there's, there's no problem celebrating doing it right. There's no problem celebrating your triumph as a, as a human being over nature. I mean, it's, it's what we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, for thousands of years, if we didn't do well, we would go hungry and die. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with celebrating the taking of a game animal. Mm-hmm. But the more humanely we can do it, the, the, the better it is. And that's, that comes down to, in part, selection of a, a suitable calibre, a suitable projectile, uh, knowing you're in a plate, applying your marksmanship principles, and knowing what you can hit and what you can't hit. And and from there, you, you know, you, you get out in the field, you do your thing, and you hopefully come home with a good feed at the end of it. One thing, um, I, I, you mentioned something about how hardy deer are, and you're absolutely right. Even this, oh, it's tough as nails. Oh, even this one I shot tonight, I, I, I definitely, you know, broke broke its neck. Um, mm. I feel a bit like you talking about this now, but you know when we're talking about you know how how rough this really sounds. But I broke its neck, head hanging. Um, this thing got up and ran another mm-hmm. ten or fifteen meters, um, yep. and it, it was never going any further. Um, but mm. you're right, hey, isn't it? it is. They are hard as nails. Even the one that I shot when I was with you. Um, mm. I mean, you know that story. Yep. You know that thing got up and, mm-hmm. and walked, and then uh, had its. They're hard, um, mm. and, and but that's not the part of the kill we want to celebrate, is it? No, and like this is this is a topic that, that um, I, I I don't genuinely don't like to talk about, and I, I don't like to talk about it because you know I don't like to talk about you know any animal suffering, and and the last thing I want is anyone to think that I'm I'm you know. Uh, having a bit of a laugh and and retelling these stories with a smile on my face, but mm. I, I don't think either of us very, are doing very that. Very tough way. animal, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. But you know, it, it's that whole thing of like, um, it's it's so easy to to stick a bad label on hunters, and yep. you, you know, it, it is it is exciting when you get when you take an animal. It's it's always exciting for for me, and it's really exciting seeing you know young hunters experiencing it for the first time, and. Mm. When when it does go wrong, and it does go wrong occasionally, uh, it's just it's amazing to see how tough um, pigs and deer and things like that can be when they've um, they've got a big shot of adrenaline and away they go. Mm. And oh, everyone's seen an animal hit in the heart. They do a dirty great jump and they just bolt. Mm. They run out of puff within 200 metres, but boy, do they bloody go. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah. Good bullets and marksmanship principles are bloody important if you're taking meat animals. And, yeah. you know, I, I told you right from the start about my dislike of 7 08 and that bloody privy partisan ammo, which I think should Let's be Let's not talk about the 7 08 because that's what I was hunting with tonight. Um, but yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> Look, look, they're they're a great they're a great cartridge. They're, you know, I mean, they they have a hell of a lot of potential. But with those privy partisan rounds on those light, thin skinned fellows, that's not here, what I was using. Just, just want to say, through. no, good on you. <laughs> yep, good on you. You know, my brothers with privy partisan. I've I, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll preach I, it to anyone that listens. You have blown any sponsorship opportunities I have with them. <laughs> Nah, nah, bugger him. You don't know. You, you you want to endorse good gear. I know. You know. I, know. I, I mean, there's uh, oh, there's a lot of gear I wouldn't I wouldn't stick my name anywhere near. Mm. But um, you know, you know, my favourites. It's it's Swazi and and Dan Hardy suppressors of it, and I oh, mean Scott Trail from Shooting Systems Research. You know, they're, they're guys who who mm. like I, I would uh, I would back and recommend anyone. But um, you know, if you if you start taking taking money for your endorsements, it uh, it changes it a bit. <laughs> it's interesting because yeah. I want to know your opinion on this. I've I've got a policy of not doing reviews, 
So on this show, yep. I, I never do a review. If I talk about a product, I'll, I'll, for example, I get a lot of things offered to me. Please review this. And if, when I first started, I did a couple. But what if it's bad? So I really ask the supplier to talk to me about it and tell their opinion. Mm. And um, if I use mm. it and you see me using it on the show, probably because I really like it, and um, – and you're right. It, it, there's a there's a really fine line when you're in my position about about mm, the the product absolutely. and the sponsorship versus your integrity. And I reckon yeah, I'm balancing on that knife edge really carefully. Mm. Well, look, I I pay I pay retail um, at Swazi. Mm. Um, I shop at the uh, the outlet shop down in Levin there, and I swear by it. It's the best gear there is. What do you want me to say? It's saved my life a couple of times, and. Uh, the day I take money from Swazi is the day I uh, refuse to, you know, endorse the product in, in, the, in the ways that I do. And look, same with the, the Hardy suppressors. Um, you know, I could quite easily, uh, you know, recommend my clients get Hardy suppressors and take their rifles from them and take them to Dan. And you know, I, I get a bit of money for commission for doing that. I'd rather not. I'd rather see Dan give them a bit of a discount, having mentioned, you know, another guy that Pete recommended. Um, yeah, but you and I are in different positions there, aren't you? Aren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, you're in the business of, of selling them and so on and so forth. Mm. You know, I'm, not in the, I'm not interested yeah, but, uh, in, in just, selling them. Just from the show point of view, this is a great debate. I'm liking this. From a show point of view, yeah. I've got to balance that on a knife edge. And like I said, I think I get that, that, that right. For example, um, mm. lower, sponsor us. And they're a great sponsor, yeah. and I love their product, and I'm saying that quite genuinely. Yeah, so do I. Uh, yeah, and, and, that, and everything but they it, do, it's they do very well. It, it, is, it is good kit. Yeah. yeah. And Jetboil, on the other hand, have featured on the show a number of times, but they're not a sponsor. I just really like Jetboils. <laughs> and um, I know yeah. the boys well, from Jetboil I, listen. Um, look, but I, look I the thing about Jetboil, the thing about Jetboil is, I'll be blunt, if you haven't got a Jetboil, you're not in business. Okay? <laughs> you're, just, you're just not in business. It's, it's like honestly, yeah. honestly, would you would you go back? Say I, I paid you five hundred dollars a year to stop using jet oil and go back to the old gas cooker. You wouldn't do it. That would just be dumb. No, no, of course not. No, no. I, I mean you you wouldn't do it. Like they are just the a business, brilliant aren't. bit of kit. Mm. And the thing about the suppressors is. You know, it's not just the noise they knock out; it's the recoil, it's the confidence yeah. it gives the shooter in his weapon. I mean, immediately you see the groups get smaller, and I just look. I, I can't. I can't rate them highly enough. And I just it it, it beggars belief why you would own a centerfire rifle in 2015 in New Zealand and not have a Hardy or a Gunworks suppressor on it. Mm. Um, yeah, see, but I've got a DPT know, suppressor on my fire, and I'm, I'm wrapped with it. it. It still works really well. Yeah. Um, but yours is one of the breakdown ones that you can tattoo with. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't anything that you can tutu with that a gunsmith should be tutuing with. That, that raises <laughs> I, alarm. You know, for me. I almost, that's, I that's almost predicted you were going to say that. <laughs> that's that's my genuine reason for, for yeah. having reservations there. Um, you know, I mean, the guys at Hardy Engineering are the experts. They There's are. no they two are. ways about it. And they know and what they're talking I'm not going to try and exactly. And I'm not going to try and do their job and tutu with the suppressor. I put it on. I leave it on. I take it off when I clean the rifle. Mm. And that's that's something that's um. Another topic. Have you guys talked about cleaning of rifles much? We're actually doing a whole or show on that um, probably Good. in about a three months' time. I mean, my show schedule Fantastic. is fairly full, believe it or not. Um, oh, no, that's good. Because that's, that's actually a very important topic that's really sort of under undervalued, if you mm. ask me. A lot of guys really don't know how to clean their rifle properly. 
Um, and as well, you've got to look after the crown. And most people don't know which bits, you know, the crown is. And I've seen guys, uh, a guy out hunting with me, were walking up a gravel road, and he, he placed his rifle barrel first on the ground and Ouch. was leaning on it. You know, I mean, <laughs> so, you know, shows like this are great in that you can, you know, spread the knowledge about, uh, oh, you know, those sorts of it's interesting because I always knew you cleaned the crown and you and I had a discussion over uh, one or two mm. more beers and we probably shouldn't have about, about why mm. that's really important. And Mark Clinch, mm. who's a regular on the show, and Mark is Mark knows what he's talking about. You know, let's not give yep. him... He does. Let's not Absolutely. make his head any, any bigger than it needs to be. But um, he mm-hmm. actually said that he got something out of that conversation. So even some of these guys that know an awful lot about firearms... And and we've got some mm. real experts that listen to my uh, to the show. I'm we're bound to sixty odd thousand listeners. There's definitely some mm. that, that that know what they're talking about. They seem to email me and say, "Wow, we got one great point from listening to you, or we got another great opinion." So, like yourself, you know, you, there's things you can learn from even guys like me who doesn't fess to being any oh, sort yeah. of expert. You know. Well, look, I mean, <laughs> economy of effort is is what it's about. If someone's got a better way or a smarter way or an easier way for me to do anything in life. I'm all about it because, I mean, I might get home half an hour earlier. That's, that's another mm. half an hour with the feet up having a beer. So, yeah, but just to cover what, what it is, what we're talking about for anyone that doesn't actually know what we're on about, the crown is the basically the end of the muzzle. It's the last point the rifle, uh, the, the projectile touches as it leaves the rifle. Mm. Now, if you have a look at your, your crown, you, you'll see a lot of rifles are re-crowned with actually the gunsmith will... Um, basically drill uh, into the end of the barrel just so it's got a nice, clean end there because if you have any nicks or burrs or anything like that at the, on the crown, uh, it'll flick the bullet off on a funny path and not do good things for your shooting. So, yeah, got to take care of your crown. Problems, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've got to be careful with these suppressors too because, you, you know, you get carp build up and stuff. So you've got to remove them regularly and really clean the end of your, your barrel. And I don't care if they're stainless or not, you're still clean a stainless oh, rifle because carbon, carbon eats stainless to bits, eh? Mm-hmm. So, Actually, just yes. one, we're, we're, we've, we're almost at the end here. We've got to make sure we keep within time. In fact, we're about 10 minutes over, but that's okay. We're a podcast. Um Oh, good. I uh, I store. I I never ever store my firearm with the suppressor on. It's always off. Yeah. Is, is that that's well, right, isn't it? That you've got that, that's that's well, a no I mean, it, it, it it works for you. I mean, I store mine with mine on, but I clean mine and then put them back on with a nice little bead of oil on them. So around the around the threading of the the um where the where the suppressor threads on if you've got um thread guards which i've also got i could use them instead but uh, I, I always worry about you know again protecting the crown and protecting the threading on the well, you know the rifle threading on the end of the barrel there so if you screw a, a thread cap over it so you can't bash the thread and, and you know damage it um that's fine to store it without the suppressor off i personally still store mine with the suppressor on to protect the thread and protect the crown in storage and in transit. So interesting yeah. you say that because I see a lot of firearms, and the ones that seem to get the the or that have the worst condition barrel are the ones that come in and they've been stored or they've been kept with the with the suppressor on. Obviously, that's something to do with the cleaning of it, but they, it just seems to mm. just absolutely screw them if it's been left on. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's got all of that uh, carbon and and powder residue and all kinds of crap trapped in the suppressor quite often. And, uh, yeah, that can definitely promote corrosion. Uh, Yeah, you do have to be careful of that. But then, you know, I'm shooting mine pretty much every other day. So, (laughs) yeah, mine never never stored for that long. 
Uh, not not that long at all. So, Pete, um, but yeah, I just yeah, go on. When, yep. when are we going to go out for another hunt, man? You're, you're coming to Tapo, um, eh? We're going to go after some seeker. Yeah, sounds good. Um, definitely, I'm going to have a look for samba in a in a couple of weeks. Well, but uh, being down south at the moment, um, I will be uh, I'll be going out chasing the uh, chasing the tar next weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should be a bit of fun. Hopefully, there won't be too much snow. Um, and uh, yeah, my uh, my partner's really keen to uh, roll a few wallabies. So she's got a heap of ammo for her 308, and we'll go out and uh, have a bit of a laugh up around Lake Benmore next weekend. I'd say. But we will. We're going to have to catch up. And one thing I want to do with Definitely. you is I'd like to. And I've, you're on air, so I've put you on the spot, and that's, that works perfectly for me. But I'd like to bring maybe someone down or a couple of guys down that are, next time you're in the North Island that have never, ever shot an animal. I think this is something that that, that, that first experience and capturing that live, um, mm. I, I, there's something about that, and I, I hope we can do that with you because, to be honest, Pete, uh, you're, you're a great teacher. Don't. You know, I know you're not going to mm. have to get out of the kitchen door now, but you're a great teacher, and I'd love to spend some time mm. going through that process with you and recording that audio. Yeah, good as gold. Well, um, uh, the, the young fella, uh, Felix, uh, we went through the, uh, the fundamentals of shooting. It, it, it's, it's sort of it's quite a long lesson. Um, I guess we spent maybe two hours. Uh, but, yeah, the two-hour lesson, I feel confident that I can get pretty much anyone anyone from beginner to to shooting two inches at, at 100 and definitely get their first year. So, yeah, we'd, we'd uh, definitely definitely love to uh, do that. Now, I'm up sort of oh, 20th of August to about oh, 5th of September or something. Yeah. We might be able to sort something out around then, eh? Yeah, sounds it's good. a good time of year for deer hunting, that's for sure, because uh, it's outside. And it's always a good time to hunt if you're outside. Best time to go hunting is always now. Hey, look, thanks, Peter. And remember, you guys can win that great prize with NZ Outdoor Hunting Magazine. All you've got to do is be active on the show. We've guest bagged long enough. Be careful out there and good hunting. Broadcasting from an undisclosed location, from a secret hunting spot known only to him and the guy who told him about it, and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics.